0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: And Eli doing it is unto the Lord, serving the Lord with fear, doing it rightly, not partaking in the things they're doing. They're getting convicted. You've got to believe it. They're seeing the simplicity in which he served his God and that they could no longer serve him simply because they were so corrupted. They were in so deep now. There was very little room for them to get out. They were so deep and entrenched in this sin of theirs. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever Say yeah. yeah.
0: Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, No, but you must give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. The greed of Eli's sons was so bad that they didn't hesitate to use violence and the threat of violence to get what they wanted. This is an example of how compromising our faith and beliefs can grow into an uncontrollable force in our lives if we don't follow the directions of our God. In the New Testament, Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now here's Pastor Rob.
1: In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 13, we, we hear of the first mention of this word Belial, and it's when God is bringing them and warning them as they, before they come into the land that they are to avoid uh, idolatry. And it says in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 13, certain men, the children of Belial, there it is again, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go up and serve other gods which you have not known. And of course, God wanted to protect his people from idolatry, but they were children of Belial. In Second Corinthians, this word is actually personified in a person, um, Satan himself. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion, we're going to take communion tonight, but what communion has light with darkness? And here it is, and what accord has Christ with Belial? Acqu- taking this word and actually personifying it into a person. And the obvious description here is a comparison between Jesus and the devil himself. Worthless, destruction, wickedness. That's what it means. And notice, it says that they did not know the Lord. And how is it, and why is it, that somebody would want to be in this place, this position of serving if they didn't know the lord you know like i was saying before you know they either get corrupted they either compromise from the very beginning or maybe they get into the ministry already corrupt desiring just just to be able to have command over people you know some people are like that i don't quite understand it you know if i <laughs> the last place i would want to be if i wasn't if i wasn't born again And filled with the Spirit of God, the last place I would... If I wasn't that, the last place I would want to be is in a church. But there are churches today all across America, all across the world, many of... or some of them, not all of them, of course, but there are those men preaching in the pulpits that don't even have the Spirit of God in them. they are great speakers, and boy, they can be handsome. Great speakers and boy, they, while they're talking to you and boy, it's just, you're so wonderful as they reach into your wallet. God loves you. God has a seed for you. If you just donate to the Lord hundred thousand dollars today, it's going to come back sevenfold to you, to you, to you. Can I get a hand? Can I get an amen? Can I get a hand? Get them. Get his checkbook. Hold up a number. It's an auction. Do I hear 100,000? 100,000 and 10,000. And people would have it so. I don't understand it, but why would a man want to be involved in ministry, but they don't belong there? If they're not born again, if they're not filled with the Spirit of God, there's no place for them in leadership in the church. They ought not to be there. It is dangerous to have somebody in a pulpit teaching anything in the church who's not filled with the Spirit. You must be born again. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're not born again, you don't belong there. You belong to be sitting and receiving the Word so that you can become born again because maybe you'll be the next worship leader. Maybe you'll be the next assistant pastor. Maybe you'll be the next pastor. But you have no business being in it at all unless you're born again. And it's important. And it's interesting that both Hannah and Elkanah, they certainly would have seen this corruption in the leadership. But yet they trusted the Lord, giving their precious son into their care and under the influence of Eli and his son. And this, folks, again, is worship. It's worship. Because I wonder how many of us would do this. And I asked myself the same question. Would I be willing to do this? When I looked at my daughter when she was born a fierce sense of pride and instinct came over my wife and I. And if you have a child, you know what that's like. It's fierce. And God put that in you for a reason. Last thing I want to do is feed that baby to the wolves. And in a sense, that's what Hannah and Elkanah did. They knew of this man and his sons, that Elkanah did nothing to restrain them Are you the type of person to allow your children to do anything and you're kind of soft on them? You need to be very careful because if you don't, that bumper crop of sin is going to come up. If you don't raise your kids the right way. If you don't discipline them when they need to be disciplined. How important it is. And yet, she worships. Elkanah they worship. Would I be willing to do this? Honestly, I don't think I would. And hopefully I wouldn't make the vow. Because here's the thing about vows. Even though Hannah made the vow and her husband heard it, we know in context that he must have heard it because he included her vow into his vow. He, He associated her vow as being their vow. They went up to perform their vow. You can read it in the first chapter there. It became his vow. But God didn't ask them to make this vow. But that's what desperation does on a heart when you really want something really bad. Isn't it true? When you want something really, really bad, sometimes, and it could be a really good thing, and you're willing to do anything. Your heart is so broken. And you know what? God, his heart, is so wonderful that he could have given Samuel even on without the vow. I wonder what would have happened if... If she just said, you know what, Lord, I would like to make a vow, but I know I don't need to make a vow. I'm simply going to ask. And maybe she had been asking. And you know what? Maybe God was waiting for her to make that commitment. You know why? Because <laughs> God knows everything. He, he's probably saying to himself, you know what? I really need Samuel. Be, but when he was in the womb, before he was in the womb, I knew him and I called him. Can you imagine from God's perspective? Maybe he was waiting for her to be in that place where she would say to herself and say to him, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll give him to you. (sighs) Oh, wonderful, Hannah. Because you know what? Your life is going to be enriched so much as a result of what you're going to do. And by the way, I'm going to bless you sevenfold. I'm going to bless you with children after this. You're going to be a woman with a quiver full of kids that desire no problem. Because my country, Israel, my people need a man like Samuel. A man of sterling character, a st- sterling morals to stand up and to be. Actually, it's kind of interesting because Eli, or Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, they should have been an example to, to Samuel, but rather it was Samuel that was purifying them. It was Samuel's life that was convicting them. And what happened to their lives? Did it make them better or did it make them bitter? I think as Samuel grew and they realized, wow, this little upstart, he's, he's the real deal. He's what we should have been. And that will either make somebody bitter or better. And I bet Hoffney and Phinehas were just like, you know what, when he first came and he was five years old, everything was fine, but now I'm starting to get a little nerved, unnerved by this young squirt. And Eli, doing it is unto the Lord, serving the Lord with fear, doing it rightly, not partaking in the things they're doing. They're getting convicted. You've got to believe it. They're seeing the simplicity in which he served his God. And that they could no longer serve him simply because they were so corrupted. They were in so deep now. There was very little room for them to get out. They were so deep and entrenched in this sin of theirs. Their conscience having been seared. And yet, there's little Samuel being this wonderful example. And this is interesting because I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have been like Hannah and Elkanah, knowing what they knew, certainly about it. Because what does it say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33? Paul says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Certainly, they knew that. We're putting him in this place where it's just evil. And the natural thought is, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen, but Lord, I trust you. Protect our son from these guys. What does it say? And, uh, I love what it says in uh, how it puts it in the N, uh, New King James Version. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. So let me ask you, who do you hang out with? Where do you hang out? Who do you hang out with? Little Samuel was hanging out with some pretty rough characters. Where do you hang out? Where is it that you go? Guys, do you still have friends? Guys that, that all, every time you're around them, it's just some dirty joke after another. It's some demeaning thing about Women you still entertain that? Where do you hang out? Ladies, where do you hang out? Where do you hang out? And I love this because Hannah and Elkanah, they trusted the Lord over the very natural, the very visible thing right in front of them, and yet Samuel remained resolute in his walk with the Lord. Unfortunately, Samuel is the exception, not the rule. I wish it were the other way around. I remember a time in my life. I had a couple of friends at the Eastman School of Music, and I remember they were very gifted guitar players. They um, were—they weren't even married, actually—and but I got to be friends with them, and they were fantastic musicians. And as time went on, I found that they—I was the Christian, and they were not, and I was a young Christian. And I found that they had more of an influence over me than I did them. And I got to the point where God had to basically tell me, Rob, you cannot hang out with these people. You need to stop. You need to sever your relationship with them. And so I did, because I realized that I was being sucked into some of their lifestyle things, some of their, the way they did things. And finally, God had to tell me, you need to back away. They're influencing you more than you're influencing them. And that's a humble thing, isn't it? For God to tell you. But this is exactly what happened. And notice in verse 13, it says, And the priest's custom, notice, the priest's custom. Was this God's custom? No, it was the priest's custom. Underline those two words, very important. The priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant, notice, the priest's servant, these guys had servants. They were the big shots in the robes. They looked great, but they had underlings to do their work for them. so, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And it's interesting because customs, precedents, traditions need to always fall under the scrutiny of the Word of God, do they not? You can have a great tradition in your church, but is it biblical? You can have a great tradition in your religion, but is it biblical? Let me tell you, there are religions out there, very familiar ones close to home, that have traditions of the church that are not biblical. In fact, would lead you astray. Let me give you one example. Will you baptize as an infant and you were told that you're in the kingdom of God? Is that true? No, it's not. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Because it's not true. That's why we don't baptize until someone comes to Christ. When you come to Christ, then you're baptized. But traditions, customs... Precedents always have to be scrutinized by the Word of God in everything. If it doesn't fit, you got to let it go. Now, some traditions and customs aren't necessarily bad, and they not, might not even be biblical, but they're, they're they're really no big deal. It's like potlucks, you know. I mean, uh, I mean, you could argue in the Book of Acts that maybe they you know they were potlucks, but you know, there's nothing wrong with having a potluck. It doesn't violate anything biblical, right? It's a good thing to do. Get the body of Christ together and eat. I think we can find precedent in the, in the Bible. But, you know, it's things like that. You know, there, there's, it's really not a bad thing. You're fellowshipping. Those kind of things are okay. They can be. They can get out of hand. Paul had to rebuke the Corinthians because they got together and they were getting drunk. <laughs> Finally, he had to put the kibosh on it because what seemed like a good thing became something kind of corrupt. And that's usually the way things go. When God institutes something, if we're not careful, man loves to take that thing and add to it. Maybe subtract to it. And pretty soon it becomes something different than what God had originally intended. But it was the priest's custom. This was not a custom that God sanctioned because he had already made provision within the law that the priest would be provided for from those sacrifices. In fact, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7, beginning in verse 28. Notice, and this is just one passage, there are others, but I think you'll get the point. These men were throwing in this flesh hook and they they were already provided for. They had enough meat. There wasn't any real necessity for them to go and throw in another flesh hook. There's no mention of a flesh hook of this kind of character in, in 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 the sacrifices. God provided for the priests. Because they served him, they lived off of those sacrifices. That's what That was their job, if I could say that. It was their privilege, right, to serve God in that way. Notice Leviticus 7, verse 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifices of, of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat... With the breast he shall bring, and the breast shall be waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his sons. That's a pretty good cut of meat, wouldn't you say? The breast of the animal? That's a pretty good cut. Also, the right thigh. You shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel By a statute forever. And this is consecrated, this is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons. From the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. And the Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. So then the question I have to ask is why wasn't that enough? It was good enough. It was good enough. God gave them. But no. We want more. Isn't that the heart of man? You give a man a mile, and he will want two miles. You give him one automobile, and he'll start thinking about two automobiles. You give him one pizza, and he wants two pizzas. You get the point. The flesh is never satisfied. But to me, one of the keys to happiness, the keys of godliness, what does it say? Holiness or godliness with contentment is great gain. When I can be content with what I have. I heard a saying one time that I liked. It's not necessarily in the Bible, but I believe it's biblical. Happiness is not necessarily getting what you want, but wanting what you have. You know, to have something. You know how it is. You buy something new, you have it for a year, and then your heart grows. Let me get King James here. Your heart waxes wanton. <laughs> You start looking at, oh, this car is not really that good anymore. I got to get that new, the new one with the upgraded computer chip. I press that button and a little thing of hot coffee comes up. Dunkin' Donuts coffee too. It's never enough. And these priests were like that. God had provided for them, but no, it's not enough. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. I'm not satisfied. Got to have it. Got to have more. And boy, what an awful heart to always be scorning what God has given and always wanting more. I want more. I want more. So they would take the flesh hook in his hand while the meat was still boiling. And it was the priest's custom. Again, as soon as a man gets a hold of something that God puts in place, more often than not it gets corrupted. It reminds me of the the feast of the Passover, in Exodus, if you remember, in chapter 12, God instituted the Passover. And let me read something to you that's very interesting. And I don't want to make a big deal of this, but I think it's interesting. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, when God institutes the Passover, it says, And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. Not anybody else's Passover it's the Lord's Passover. But then we get to John chapter 2. After hundreds of years of doing, going through the Passover and going through the, 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 the routine and uh, again, you know, and the next thing you know, they're, they're just continually, perpetually doing it. And after a while, it's just like going through the motions. And all of a sudden, you're just kind of getting bored. Now you want something a little better, something a little new. You want a little fireworks in the place. You're looking for something. And now, finally, in Jesus' day, isn't it true that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, They were just going through the motions Going through the motions so much so that on the day of passover it says now the passover of the jews was at hand Now, I don't want to make a huge deal out of that But we just read that it was the lord's passover. John could have said in john chapter 2 verse 13 there He could have said and the passover of the lord or the lord's passover was at hand But no by this time it had become something a little bit different there was really no worship in it anymore. Going through the motions, just like cattle, you know, just, mm, you know, being prodded behind. It, mm. you know, you're, you're just kind of going along for the ride. You, you, you've lost, you don't really know what it's about anymore. Not even sharing that with your kid, just kind of like, you know, this is what we do, you know. Pass the bitter herbs. Even in John chapter 6, verse 4 Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. John could have said in the original thing, it's the Lord's Passover. It's his. But it becomes something different, just like these men. They started off, who knows how they started off, but after a while it became...
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel.